thanks for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. What's up, guys? Stack Pack, we are back. We have uh, not been very consistent, but it's been a weird time. Lots of people working and things like that. But uh, today, uh, I am joined by Rodan on the road in Mexico and just myself. What's up, Dan? Not much, not much. You know, just uh, getting adjusted to being in Mexico. It's been an interesting 48 hours. Living that taco life. Uh, uh, as street tacos. As, not as much as I would like to be, unfortunately. Yeah, because lots of work. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just the two of us today. Uh, Eli's got a new job. It's been pretty rough, but... And Dan's been on tour, so uh, next week it might just be Eli and I, but we're going to try to get all of us, you know, we're going to try to keep going uh, forward, and then hopefully we'll have a couple episodes with the three of us when Dan gets back. You won't be out for too long. So, uh, yeah, let's just get into it. Um, You know, uh, stacking and packing um, in multiple countries, same continent, but multiple (laughs) countries, you know how we do. Um, so, so this episode is season four, episode eight of the original Robert Stack hosted series. And there's a lot to get to. Let's get to this first fucking hawk of shit. I mean, you know, this is technically our hundredth episode. Technically. Well, if you, if you go by the actual episodes of unsolved mysteries that we've covered, it's been a hundred unsolved mysteries episodes. Really? How did you figure that? Uh, going off the fandom uh, Wikipedia page. Oh shit! This is the hundredth. Uh, but our hundredth episode was probably a while ago because of like bonus <laughs> episodes and movie episodes. But those are all those all do count as bonuses. So damn hundredth episode. Um, and sadly, this one—I mean, it's a good episode, but I mean, it, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't scream mystery <laughs> enough for me, I guess. The last shit is fucking crazy. It's still unsolved. I know. Um, but yeah, let's get to it because that's the most interesting one. Uh, the, this first one is crazy. It's the unexplained. It's crazy and like not a cool way. Um, this one is the unexplained and this lady doesn't want to be identified. She's a typical um, Sharon, not Sharon. She So she visits a hypnotherapist to lose weight like you do in the 90s, right? I feel like that was a, a fad, a thing. Um, but she actually started having... Uh, the hypnotherapist brought up this reoccurring nightmare that she said she had ever since she was a little girl where she's a soldier on a boat getting bombed and there's smoke. And basically what she's describing is the events uh, of Pearl Harbor. Um, and she said she's been having this spooky dream since she was a kid or whatever. Um, so she loses 30 pounds. That works. I guess they just skim over that. What they, what they don't mention is, you know, this is about the time where, you know, Diet pills were popular, yeah. so she might have just lost those thirty pounds from all the amphetamines that she was doing. Yeah, or just or just your good old fashioned cocaine. <laughs> she loses some weight, and I guess she's pretty close to her hypnotherapist because she goes on a vacation with him to Hawaii. Yeah, that kind of is just like at first it's like, oh, like they're married. Wait, and then he's like, no. Then they went back to the room and went for in for a session. And he's like, no, they're not married. It was what like the f- they mentioned that there was like she went on a uh, a vacation with Doctor Gillespie and like a group of people, right? 
Oh, that might have been like the 15 seconds I dozed off in the intro to this. Because <laughs> like so the, the, she, the last thing I remember is her like on the couch and her like regressing into like the war flashback. And then yeah, the next she, thing I know, they're at the uh, the Pearl Harbor Memorial with the guy. Yeah. So that kind of threw me off. Yeah, she, she says that like um, Hawaii was immediately familiar because palm trees. I don't know. Like she knew, she knew where things were, or whatever that means. And then, um, after visiting, right after visiting this memorial, this Pearl Harbor memorial, she like asked to be hypnotized. So they like ran to the room. You know, everyone in the hotel thought, "Oh, look at those that cute couple." But she, they were just running to the room so um, she could be hypnotized. And um, then, like, he explains how like she started talking as like a different person. And then they started regressing, regressing in age. And um, he said, Dr. Gillespie said something like, oh, yeah. To your 12th form. Wait, did I say Dr. Gillespie? Sorry, yeah. John Gillespie. <laughs> John Gillespie is the name of the fucking guy that she thinks she is in Pearl Harbor. <clears throat> I think I, I said Dr. Elliot? Gillespie a couple times. Yeah, I think you're referring to, El- no, is it Elliot? Leighton? That sounds right. Sure. I don't know. The doctor's a kook anyway. So she says that she her name is John Gillespie and she uh, is like a fucking soldier, and then they like regress in and then he says something like, "Bring us to your twelfth year." So he starts talking about like how he's a twelve year old and he he like uh, he lives on a farm and stuff and it, it it gets pretty crazy. So they go back to this memory that she keeps having. And she's this uh, young adult on um, a boat, and there's all this explosion and all this ruckus, and then the vision always comes to an abrupt end, like she exploded or something, you know, like the guy explodes and that's the end of the dream. So over the course of like 20 hypnoses, I don't know what the plural for that is, being hypnotized over 20 times, they kind of like, you know, um, built like a profile and he started writing all this stuff down so he could like corroborate this dude's, this John Gillespie's existence. And he even like goes and gets like congressional privileges from someone who works for the congressman. And they were able to like confirm eight out of nine people that she mentioned were um, on the boat. But it's also funny. And it's, I think important to mention that she's like, Oh, we just went to a, a a fucking Pearl Harbor memorial and read like a bunch of names inscribed and then let's run to the hotel room and I'll, you know, and, and that won't, that won't be a part of it. You know, like that won't alter her perception of what she's going to say when she's under, you know, that's, that's so funny. Cause like I recently just read this article, um, that talks about how photographing things affects our memory and they discovered by taking a group of students through a museum and having them take photographs of what they see versus just making them look at it, people that photograph stuff couldn't remember what they saw versus people that did. So I, I totally like how you're pointing out like she wait, read wait, something. Wait, 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 say that again. Wait, so people that took pictures remembered less than people that actually just sat there and looked at shit? Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, that makes sense. Uh, And then they also discovered another um, disconnect was a person who takes a photograph of art or say like you're, you're taking a photograph of like a dinosaur. 
So you take you take that photograph. If you take that photograph with you in the picture, you're also le- more likely to remember a lot less than you would if you had just taken a photo or if you had just looked at it. If you had just taken a photo of the thing? Yeah, like if you take a photo, if you're in the photo, you're less likely to remember that moment. That makes so much sense. That's why I always say, like, if I ever meet somebody that I respect or, like, a famous person, I'd so much rather just, like, exchange one sentence and let them live their lives. Like, to me, that's so much more valuable than, like, hey, can I have, like, a picture? Or, I don't know. I think that's a with a lot of things. Yeah. Like, you always say you wish you took more pictures when we're, like, vacationing or when we're somewhere. But it's, like, also, like, yeah, but it's also fun to live in the moment. I feel like people don't really do that. Yeah, so... <laughs> She was pretty good at recalling these things and these names. And there was also a person that she remembered specifically. Um, and he had hurt his leg real bag, real, real bag, real bag. Um, there's this, yeah, there's a guy that she remembers a little more specifically than the others. And I don't know if she recalls his name from the vision or if it's, uh, if she read the name or I think she did recall the name from the vision and what's weird about this name is it wasn't on the memorial because he wasn't really supposed to be there, right? This guy was named Vincent Tossig, and um, by all records, he was supposed to be like on another boat. But he did confirm uh, they they actually reached out to him. Oh no, he was supposed to be in like Long Beach or something like that. Oh yeah, he was supposed to be in like yeah, a totally different part of the country. He hurt his legs so bad that it had to be amputated uh, that day when their ship was hit at Pearl Harbor. And uh, he didn't want to talk to Unsolved Mysteries, but he confirmed that. But, you know, they do also have the skeptic who's like, you know, this information about Vincent Tossig is like widely available. It's history. It's facts, you know. (laughs) But, um, yeah, they just thought it was interesting. Like, that's one of the things they use in this story. Like, oh, he wasn't even on the list, so he couldn't have known this prior. So... They, like, went really hard to track down if this John Gillespie actually existed. And they, like, they eventually came across... Because, you know, back when she regressed to 12-year-old John Gillespie, she she uh, she talked about the farm they grew up on in the area. I forget. It's, like, in South Dakota. But they, they tracked Omaha, down... was it? Something like that. But uh, they, they tracked down what they think is a census that had... Um, John Gillespie's grandfather on it. Um, one of his sons is named John. Um, it's a, a, his Robert Gillespie. I forget what his name was, but one of his sons is named John. And the doctor swears that this would be John Gillespie senior, John Gillespie's dad. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a stretch, but you know, who knows? They also both took a lie detector test, the doctor and Sharon, not Sharon. And the, the lie detector guy said that he did not believe that they were making a, any of this or that you know that any of it was a hoax that they believed exactly what they were telling everybody (laughs) no hoax has been perpetrated and also they do mention that um she said that john Gillespie had a girlfriend and they uh somebody made a composite sketch of how sharon not sharon explained the girlfriend and it looked like somebody's cartoon cute disney dream version of a hawaiian pretty girl (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty much what it looked like. All right. Um, yeah, so any updates on that one, Dan? <laughs> uh, I'm actually currently trying to look up updates for it right now. I don't expect... I mean, maybe there's more information, but I uh, highly doubt it. <laughs> I, I can't find anything. 
at this current moment. The wiki doesn't mention anything? <laughs> uh, no. And no updates on that because it's uh, bullshit and all of that stuff happened a long time ago and there's not really going to be any more updates on, uh, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I think that's, I think that incident is pretty well documented. Yeah, I don't know. What What do you think? I mean, there, there's things that give me a little pause, but not enough. Um, the lie detector thing is pretty interesting, but I just, I feel like people can, uh, it, people are so wrapped up in their own, uh, you know, bullshit that they can, their and their confidence is so strong that, you know, they really do believe what they're saying, even if it is totally fake, you know, uh, so I don't know. And of course, we all know lie detectors are not admissible in court because, it's it ain't ain't no proof of nothing. True. Uh, at first, I kind of thought it would be probable, but then after like reading that article, how photographs affect your memory, I was just like, okay, like I could totally see her like being at at a war memorial and just kind of looking at stuff, but not really absorbing it on a conscious level. You know what I mean? Yeah. When she was hypnotized, it, those memories came up in her subconscious. You know, the lie detector guy said that he specifically asked if, if she had, like, a lot of prior knowledge about Pearl Harbor. And apparently she didn't, and he was confident in her answers. But it's also, like, um, the skeptic was saying, amongst other things, she was saying that, like, she she had heard all the tapes of him hypnotizing her, of the hypnosis, and that everything he was saying was very leading, you know, like, he was the director of the conversation and kind of, you know steering it in ways that, you know, if you're a fucking dreaming person who's asleep and I don't know, it seems like you'd be more apt to say what the person or go along with what someone was saying, especially if you're fucking half asleep. (laughs) Yeah. So the next case is a good old fashioned unexplained death. And this one is, uh, this one's got some twists and turns. Um, we're going to be telling the story of Roger and DJ Dean, Roger and his wife, DJ, you notice the way Robert Sachs said DJ? No. Like, it was just like, the emphasis was weirdly on the J. DJ. DJ Dean. His wife, DJ. Like, no, one's, no one says it like that. Roger and DJ Dean. Um, one morning, there was a weird old Pontiac or an Oldsmobile, late 70s, parked outside of the house of Roger and DJ Dean. TJ was getting ready for work or she was just getting ready in the morning. She was in the bathroom when she hears her husband kind of call like, uh, come in here, honey, like come in here. And she, she's like, what, what's going on? What do you mean? And once she leaves the bathroom, she notices that on the other side of the room, there's a man holding a gun across the room, pointed at her husband. And immediately the gunman forces Roger to tie up his wife. And then, um, kind of put her on the bed laying on her stomach, right? And then they went into the other room and had, like, a talk, and she didn't really know what was going on. It seemed like kind of an argument. And then the gunman comes back into the room and points the gun right at her and, like, says, like, where's the money? How much money do you have in your bank account? Do you know how much? And she's like, no, I don't know. And it's all craziness. And then you, um, outside, uh, she hears him say that, like, he admits to having 30000 in the bank, and he's going to, like, 
and the robber's gonna take him to the bank to get it or something, right? Yeah. But then tragedy strikes because for some reason there was a gunshot. He like shot him in the arm or shot him somewhere and like not somewhere that wasn't fatal. And then immediately at po- point blank range shot him like five more times and then like still tried to get him to keep walking out. And he just like fell on the fucking street, you know, bleeding out, bleeding hard. And then this guy just took off immediately. They're fuck. this shit's weird. Like immediately they noticed that. Um, one of his hot hands was like never tied up that he has like a tie on one hand. They also like find, um, tape, duct tape over a pair of his pair of glasses, his glasses, there's duct tape over his glasses, but they find contacts in his eyeballs. So they're immediately thinking, okay, this has been made to look like he was blindfolded and tied up. He clearly wasn't. The the fabric fibers were only like embedded into one side of his arm, so they know that only one side of his arm. He was never actually tied up. Oh. <clears throat> did you miss that part too? Yeah, I did miss that part. <laughs> I I didn't catch that. But yeah, no, it's it's Dude, weird. Dude. Fuck. We could totally solve this case. Why are you looking it up or what? Yeah. Stack drops the mic again when he reveals that a year prior to his death. Um, Roger took $30,000 from one of his businesses and just like put it into one of his own banks. Oh yeah. He embezzled 30 grand from his company. Um, that morning he was also like hanging out, having coffee in his garage about 45 minutes after he usually leaves for work. People thought that was weird. So the cops kind of assumed that he was literally waiting for this guy to come and rob him. You know, he was like waiting for the dude to do the thing. It's it's interesting how this I don't know. Do you think he accidentally shot him in the arm and it was just like, "Oh, fuck it. It's ah, fuck it. Bah, 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 I'm out of here." Like, yeah. Like 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 his his finger slipped and he's like, "Oh shit." Like <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it seems like a fucking kerfuffle. This dude was <laughs> so he was hanging out having coffee in his garage waiting for this guy to come and rob him. The wife, who's just a Piper Laurie, if you've ever seen one, <laughs> she does mention that her and her husband have had personal problems since the death of their son, and um, then we get a little extra topping of tragedy, because two years prior to that, their son died in a car accident, and then a little bit after that, I think there was some tragedy that happened to her parents, but they don't go into what happened there. Um, so yeah, this is shitty. He dies. Um, she doesn't know why she's pretty sure that he had nothing to do with it. She's, she's, she's a sweet, naive little lady, isn't she? Um, so nothing happens for five years. And then of course, five years after that, she receives a very, very creepy letter. And this letter was mailed to her. She got it on July 21st of 1990. This person wanted a hundred grand or else they were going to kill someone else. Like they threatened to kill, um, her daughter and they, it was pretty fucked up that the letter even said like, Oh, you know, your husband's dead and your son's dead and don't, you know, don't fuck with me, you know, pay me this money. You swear to take your daughter. Yeah. Oh, that's easy. Easy. You just go to your local convenience store, go down to the sweet aisle. And you pick up yourself a hundred grand, 
And you know what? While you're there, just go ahead and take your get yourself a hundred grand for you. It'll get a couple. Set, it'll only set you back about three dollars. Hey, don't stop there. Head off to outer space with a Mars bar. <laughs> your candy aisle can take you on a mini an adventure. This this message has been brought to you by Hershey's. Uh, <laughs> So, of course, DJ and Tammy call the cops, and the FBI um, gets involved, and they give her around-the-clock protection, and they set up a wiretap because this dude starts calling. Cause he wants his money. And and they set up a wiretap because this they're expecting a call from this dude because they're, he's going to give them, you know, the deets on how to deliver the hundred grand. So the person calls and says that Roger owes him money and that they wanted the money or they'd kill the daughter, who was already a grown woman at this time. They traced his phone call to a phone booth in Denver, but of course the person was gone by the time anybody responded to that. So after 10 plus calls over a couple weeks or whatever, um, this person tells her to drive to a supermarket and wait for their instructions. So she sits there and waits. She's got like an FBI guy and and like laying in her back seat, and there's like a SWAT team like on standby. And she sits there and waits, and then she gets a call on a pay on the payphone, right? Yeah, yeah. She's told to wait by a payphone in front of a grocery store, and after waiting, I can't remember how long. She said like a half hour or something like that. She received a call. Yeah, with, she, uh, she explains the wait as like being like crazy. You know, she was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is fucking nuts. Uh, but yeah, so she receives this call and she answers it. And, and they, the call is basically instructions of of where to drop off the money. But the guy was so specific on not only as to where to drop off the money, but he also told her like specific roads in a route that she had to go by. Like kind of like she said she got a sense that. That like she was being followed or like that, you know, the, the way the directions were written or given to her was as if she was going to be tailed to make sure that, you know, the police weren't following her or kind of like a like a setup. Yeah, she's supposed to leave the hundred grand like in a duffel bag in an alleyway. But of course, she's still shadowed by the feds whenever she goes. Um, I think these feds got made, though, because... This dude never comes for the money. He never picks up the money. Doesn't he call her and, and like, yeah. like the next day calls her and like critiques and says like you know you didn't do exactly what I told you to do. Yeah, he he. Well, a couple hours later, he calls and the daughter answers, and she said that he was cussing a lot and said that yeah you didn't follow instructions, and the killer said that that he was going to kill her. He's going to kill find Tammy the daughter and kill her. And he never picked up the money, and that's kind of where that story ends. They don't know who this guy is. They don't know anything. Um, I presume they were never attacked. And eventually, he just stopped bothering them, I suppose. <clears throat> that's kind of where the Unsolved mystery story ends. They, you know, they have, like, a vague description of him being, like, a tall white guy. That's pretty much all they know. Yeah, the description they have is the killer is described as a white male, approximately six foot tall, between the age of 20 and 40 years in 1985. Uh, he was believed to be driving a 68 Pontiac or a 78 Oldsmobile, and he is believed to have an extensive vocabulary. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting little detail. That description's kind of like very vague, like, well, it was a white guy, he was tall, six foot... And uh, he could be twenty years old, or he could be forty years old. You know, forty year, twenty year gap. That that's 
That's it was a literate. It was a liter a literate tall white man. <laughs> but uh, so as I was saying, like we could actually probably solve this case. Why do you say that? Because the investigators have noted that they have both DNA and a partial fingerprint belonging to the killer. However, they have yet to receive any matches. How do we solve it? 23 and me, baby. We got to get somebody to uh, get this information. Yeah, um, unfortunately, this case is still um, still open. Um, investigators know that they have at least six suspects in the case, uh, but those suspects have refused to submit their DNA, and they don't have enough evidence for them to get a to, warrant. Like, make them? Yeah. Um, but the, one of their uh, suspects is, oh, um, the son of Roger's secretary is a good possibility because apparently Roger was having an affair with his secretary and her son knew about it and was very upset about it. So they suspect that, you know, he might be one of the perpetrators. Like he would have motive. I don't buy that. I feel like he knew this guy. He told the guy to rob him, and it just turned out shitty. And then years later, he's like, well, I never got the money for fucking do- doing that fucked up shit, and I accidentally killed the guy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why you'd pay your... Or maybe that's a good idea. Pay your fucking... Um, your mistress's you know, son your, so he doesn't your rat you out? son... Pay your mistress's son, you know, he's a kid looking for some money to come and, like, rob you. Well, no, apparently, like, he had beef. Like, th- like this guy had, like, had an issue with uh, with Roger that, you know, maybe he went and he's like, hey, like, I know you're, you know, you're, you're sticking my mom. You give me 30 grand and I don't fuck you up. Or I tell your wife and, you know, kind of yeah. like. And then in the process of them going out to the car, his finger slips in. And, like, shoots the guy, and he, he just realized, like, fuck, like, this guy's fucking my mom. And I just shot him, like, <laughs> fuck it, and just, like, you know, unloads into him to finish it off. Yeah, the, those are both really, really good options. I don't know. We got two more cases to uh, get down with. Um, the next one is a good old-fashioned fraud. This chick had cajones. This lady was a lady named Eliza Montgomery. I, I think was that a real name? They, they uh, I think it was. Mm, I don't know. No, uh, let's see. At, at the end, spoiler: they catch her, but at the end they say that she was using a different name. But and usually no. they say the person's real name. So I think Eliza she, I don't Minnelli know. is not Eliza Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a real name, but I think it, is it not. might be. It is no? not. No. Okay. Does it say your real name on on the Unsolved Wiki? Yeah. What is it? It is Ellen Christine. Oh, Huvera. 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 Juvera? Huvera? It sounds like a hair product. Anyway, um, so Liza Montgomery goes on an affluent shopping spree in... Um, December of 1989, she goes mad Christmas shopping. Let's see. Let's name off the shit she does. It's wild. First, she hits up a local businessman. This dude's name is Mark Hughesby, and he is trying to unload a two-carat diamond ring and a sweet mink coat. I think Homeboy 
just got a divorce. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like he just uh, dumped his body's wife in a creek and is selling her shit. I don't know. <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, but, of course, we do podcasts about unsolved mysteries, so you always have to think the worst about people involved in these stories. <laughs> so he wanted cash, and she's very, you know, bubbly and cute and says, like, oh, the bank was closing, and uh, here's my cashier's check. It's just as good. And um, he reluctantly kind of accepts it, and he takes it. And um, he also mentions that he thought it was odd how she so nonchalantly threw this meat coat in the back of her convertible and took off and said, all right, thanks, later. Also, another important thing to note is before accepting the cashier's check, he did uh, ask her for ID, her ID so he could, like, you know, confirm the information on the check. You know, just to make sure that the person he was looking at was the person who belonged to the, you know, check. And I guess he wrote some of that information down, as we'll get into a little later. Well, it wasn't just, did you say it was a check or a cashier's check? Cashier's check. What's the difference? I, I mean, if, this might sound like a stupid question, but what's the difference? Okay, so so a check or a personal check is something that you write out. And, and you give right. in lieu of physical cash. A cashier's check is a check that has been issued by the bank saying that those funds are available at the bank. So was it a fake cashier's check? Uh, um, yeah. Uh, what they suspect is that she might have gone to a bank and have gotten a like a cashier's check for, you know, 50, 60 bucks or whatever. And then took that and made a photocopy of it and doctored it to where she oh. had these cashier's checks that you know so that's why that's what made it so much more like legit is that it was a cashier's yeah. check okay yeah like i, I mean if someone if someone hands you a cashier's check you're going to accept it because it's backed by the bank it was issued money by the, bank. the money is definitely there yeah and when you buy a cashier's check they, they take all your personal information your driver's license number your well at least bank of america does they take your driver's license number and in your address and that's exactly so. what Mark Hughesby did. Um, he fucking took he he took the information on her ID. <clears throat> oh shit! What did I do? Sorry, I'm bad at these notes. Okay. Um. Yeah. All right. So that's her first cashier's check. She gets the mink coat and a sweet ring. Um, next, she goes and picks up two rings that she had custom made from a jewel from a jeweler, a jeweler, <laughs> a jewel, a jeweler. So weird <laughs> that word just like fucking farted in my brain. Jeweler, jeweler, jewel, jeweler. <laughs> Um, so she had these two rings custom made and she would come into the store a lot. Like the dude was like, I never thought two shits about it because she was always, you know, in nice ass clothes and she, you know, she had these rings customly built for her and I think she would make smaller purchases there. Right. So she gives another cashier's check to this guy for $39,000 for these two rings and in the reenactment, the guy's like, Oh, this is a great price for these two diamonds and it's fucking nuts. And she's like, oh, I know. Um, yeah. 
what does she say? She's like, I guess I'm just lucky. That's why they call me lucky, which is something they don't mention in the actual like, <laughs> narration of the story. I don't know. <laughs> deleted scene. Um, or deleted scene from the narrative, at least. So I guess maybe they call her lucky. I don't know. So third, okay. So first we get the minks and the ring. Nah, then we got jeweler's ring. Third, she just fucking destroys a furniture store. She buys $23,000 in uh, furniture. Shit, I wish I could do that. <laughs> and apparently she was driving some shitty old van when she like went to go get it. So over that weekend, she goes to nine more stores, spending a, over a hundred grand, and uh, you know she's buying like luxury items and all this crazy, you know, more jewelry and more mink coats and all this shit. Beauty salons and Louis Vuittons. Yeah. <laughs> so of course, it's only a matter of time before like someone notices that this is not as good as it seems. And that dude was the first dude, Mark Hughesby, the one who took her information. He fucking drove his ass to the address on her ID. And uh, he gets to a gated community and is told by the security guard that that address does not exist. So he just goes straight to the cops, right? Is is it just me or is the security guard that's guarding the uh, gated community, does it sound like he was like huffing healing him right before he said his lines? Why did he have a really high voice? I didn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> that, that address doesn't exist. It's fucking Mickey Mouse. It's my it's Micah Jackson. Micah Jackson. <laughs> yeah, address doesn't exist, so he fucking goes right to the cops. And the cops are like, Well, none of these checks have bounced and um even if so, you know, we can't arrest someone for putting the wrong address. <laughs> so, you know, they're they're aware, they're suspicious. So back to the furniture store. She's like fucking yelling at this guy, like, make it fit. And the guy's like, oh, I'll go down and I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you put it in your house. You know, we can have, you know, we have movers. And she's like, no, just fucking make it fit. So he's kind of, if she wasn't such an asshole to him, he probably wouldn't have given his wife a walkie talkie and followed her ass away from the furniture store while her fucking wife was on the phone with the cops reporting his every move (laughs) (laughs) hey maybe be fucking nicer liza montgomery liza not liza (laughs) so he's following her and the reason that um the wife starts notifying the cops is because she's not going where she said she was going and she meets up with the guy who's in the convertible that she was driving they switch cars the guy gets in the van she gets in the convertible and he starts following Two, both of these cars away. At some point, the cars like split up, and then um, he keeps following her. And then at one point, she like gets out of the car because she notices him and like runs up to the car, like yelling at him. The the, the vehicles split when she notices them. Like she pulls off to the side of the road, and the car makes an, the van makes an illegal right turn. And right after that, she hops out of the car and starts yelling at the guy, like, "What are you doing? You follow me!" And he panics and like speeds away and she hops into her car and chases Apparently him. because he thought she had a gun or something. Yeah. It's like, dude, yeah, anybody would have driven away if you got caught fucking following somebody. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he panics and he drives off. She follows him for a little bit 
uh, to the point. I think I can't remember how long they said it. I want to say he said it was like three miles or something like that. And then he decided, yeah, after a three mile chase, he pulls over to a side road and she speeds past him. And like, that's kind of the last time they, they see of her. Um, a few weeks after that incident, uh, the convertible and the van were recovered. Both were rented vehicles. Um, from oh, um, also important to note that before she totally dipped town, she went and picked up three slot machines. Uh, and the, one of the cops even says, like, as sort of like a you know a reminder of like a like a souvenir of Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I go to Las Vegas, that's the last thing on my mind when I want to leave. <laughs> I wish I could take a slot machine with me. Yeah, that is odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that and so she's missing, you know, at the end of this unsolved mystery segment and then and then that's when they show the picture of her photocopied ID from one of the places she rented either the van or the convertible from. And there's a pretty good, if not grainy picture of her, which is what helped um one of the viewers identify her. She was in uh Hollywood, so she didn't she just went what like 4 hours two, 3 hours down the road? 4 hours down the road? Um, yeah, someone identified her. Yeah, well, what really blew this case open was this case uh, originally aired in 91. And just by dumb luck, while it was airing, the Oregon, an Oregon police officer um, was actively investigating a similar case. But he had her real identity and was able to locate her in Hollywood and then tip off the, uh, the Unsolved Mystery people. <laughs> Really? Because it's weird because Unsolved Mystery says that she was using the name Ellen Christine Huvera. But you're saying that that was her actual legit name. Yeah. You didn't see the uh, mugshot that I just sent you of her most recent mugshot? Uh, it's still sending. Let me see if I can. Oh, because you're in Mexico? <laughs> yeah. Maybe do it on Skype. I just sent it on Skype. It's still loading. Okay, Dan. Tell me what I'm looking at right now. You are looking at her most recent uh, mug shot. Uh, what did she do most recently? <laughs> uh, this is from mugshots.com. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a website. Good to know. I feel like we should use this resource more often. <laughs> uh, it doesn't say the age, but all it says is her name, uh, ethnicity, white, female, blonde, blue hair, blue eyes. Five seven hundred thirty-five pounds. Uh, estimated parole eligibility date: uh, December six, two thousand ten. Next parole hearing date: uh, May twenty fourteenth. Mandatory release date: September sixteenth, two thousand fourteen. Current facility oh, wow. assignment is Denver Women's Correctional Facility. It just says that she is serving two four-year sentences. Related to something that happened in Jefferson County, and uh, that happened in her. She well, she was sentenced uh, to these two charges, uh, December or sorry, uh, October second, two thousand eight. <clears throat> wow! So she's still um, being. She's still up to mischief. Well, was like she's been released well, she- since then. Maybe. Well, I mean, in 2014 at the latest, right? Yeah, so like, no, she's... She probably got paroled earlier. 
But damn, what a rap sheet. You were on Unsolved Mysteries? Oh, you were the late, the affluent Las Vegas Christmas shopper? Fraud lady? <laughs> yeah, so at the end of Unsolved Mysteries, it's funny because it says that she's since been released. And one thing we do know about all these episodes is they were like um, last touched in like 2002, right? Or I think so. Uh, because... Yeah, I mean, because if they did do the story again in 2008, it would have been the Rob, the Dennis Farina one. And if they did do the story again, they would say that she's since been released because she, I guess, got arrested in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, she's still up to no good. And so, her real name is Ellen Christine Huvera. And um, she's last in the Denver area in jail uh, possibly out for five years. <laughs> Interesting little find there, Dan. That's so. What? How'd you find that? Uh, it was just under um, links in the fandom webpage. It was a link to her mugshot or a link to that website. A link directly to her mugshot on that website. <laughs> so I was like, "Hey, this will be fun to add." It was indeed. Um, the last case is really cool. Um, well, it's not really cool. It's fucking tragic, but it's like unsolved murder, like very interesting. And I think it's an important story as well. Yeah. These, this story's wild. This is a, a string of, uh, this is definitely a missing persons and it's about a string of, uh, missing women. We're going to be focusing on one of these women, but, uh, interesting string of missing women being abducted from convenience stores they were working at in Florida in the early nineties. Uh, it's pretty weird. Um, so February 4th of 1990 at four 30 in the morning cops, uh, respond to a convenience store in Orlando. Two people called in that there was not a clerk and it was very weird. One of these people's buddy, uh, was this girl who was missing. He'd been hanging out at the store like for an hour while she, you know, checked people out and then he left and said he was going to come back. There was weird stuff like a work smog, uh, like work shirt. Work smog is what they say. Schmock. Like, what, like smock or yeah. maybe, yeah, like an apron type thing was neatly folded. That's odd. There was no evidence of a robbery or a struggle. Nothing from the store was taken. Nothing was missing except her, the cop said, which is a creepy thing to say. Kind of sticks with you. The, the girl that went missing was named Deborah Poe, and she had just barely moved to Orlando four months prior with her best friend. She worked at a local newspaper during the day, and she took this job at the night shift at night because she uh, wanted to start her own business, and she needed to pay her bills, and she was a very ambitious young woman. She also wanted to own her own house. She had plans. You know, she just moved to Orlando, started a new life. Um, so she was working 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., Doing the graveyard shift. So just after 11, her friend stopped by and talked to her. So it was confirmed that she was waiting on customers till at least 3.05 a.m. And then by 3.50 was when the customer um, called and reported that there was nobody there. So something happened from in between 3.05 and 3.50 that we just do not know what exactly that was. Um, besides her obviously being abducted or her just physically not being there. The creepiest thing is like, I, this guy, the way he must talk to these girls, because one thing these stories have in common is there's no fucking struggle. 
it's weird. So that's a perfect segue into talking about uh, a couple of these other girls. Um, six months earlier in Gulf Breeze, Florida, which uh, go back and listen to our um, UFO. Gulf Breeze UFO. Um, go back to our little bonus episode earlier in, in our run where we talked about the Gulf Breeze UFO incident, which is not part of the uns- the streaming version of Unsolved Mysteries, but they did cover it. And we talked about the covering because we found it on a cool Unsolved Mysteries blog and we, we talked about it. <clears throat> Find it. It's there. Gulf Breeze UFO incident. Um, so six months earlier in that area, Gulf Breeze, a woman by the name of Donna Callahan disappeared with very similar, similar circumstances from a convenience store. Uh, and also, like I said, no sign of struggle. Um, she actually had a little two-year-old daughter and was pregnant at the time. So that makes it fucking extra tragic. Super shitty. Five weeks later in Lake City, Florida, Darlene Messer was abducted. And then just a couple of days later, her body is found bludgeoned to death. So the cases had been linked by the police, but uh, no suspect at all. The biggest lead and another really creepy thing about this case that kind of gets my skin crawling is this lady who went in during this prime spot we're talking about, 305 and 350. She says she was there around 3.30 when she went into the convenience store to get cigarettes. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. It's so fucking weird. And she talked to this person who she thought was the clerk. He didn't really immediately know where the cigarettes were. And that's not that weird if you're new. But, you know, I think if they leave you at the store overnight, I don't know, you know, you're not that new. So she explains this guy as having long stringy hair, skull earrings, and a cross, like a necklace or something. Yeah. And a... A rock and roll shirt. He he had a Metallica. No, sorry, Megadeth. Megadeth. Shirt. Yeah, and the 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 reenactment. The guy is pretty scary. He's a big, big, tall dude. But the shirt really does remind me of like Beavis and Butthead. Like it just looks like somebody wrote the word Megadeth on a shirt. You know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a part. It wasn't like you know. A righteous graphic tee. <laughs> it definitely wasn't official merch. We'll just go there. The cop does mention that this could just be, this could be the abductor, of course, but this could have just been someone taking advantage of nobody being in the store or someone just trying to rob, you know, take some cigarettes and stuff for free. But it's too weird. So they've officially classified Deborah as a missing person and they just uh, want closure and they don't know who did this. And um, that's kind of where that story ends. But there is an update of sorts. There's a guy named uh, William Alex Wells who eventually confessed to killing Donna Callahan. Donna was the one from Gulf Breeze and not the one that whose body they found. This guy was able to take them to the body, and it was like, you know, in a rural area. He also implicated his half-brother, Mark Ritchie, in these murders as well. Mark Ritchie's a fucking extra piece of shit. Like, you can look up these guys, and they're fucking awful. So they're both serving life. Um... Deborah Poe and Darlene Messer's uh, cases are technically still unsolved, but a lot of people think that. I think a lot of people think that they're connected. I think I, I remember looking this up when we watched this episode three weeks ago. We've been kind of meaning to do this episode for a while, but um, I don't really remember what I found. I just remember that Mark Ritchie is a specific fucking disgusting sort of dirtbag. Um, I didn't go 
too much into them, um, other than the fact that they were arrested for um, uh, kidnapping, assault, and robbery charges. And uh, Wells confessed uh, to Donna's murder to avoid the death penalty, and then he's the one who located him to the body, which was identified via dental records, and it was buried on on their family property. Oh, shit. Darlene's case also references another um, clerk that was murdered named Aline Mangold, um, who also vanished from a Florida store. In 1999, Hugh Franklin Smith was arrested for Aline's murder after DNA and a palm print linked him. So that guy could be the one who did that to Deborah Poe. It's just so weird. Was that just a cool thing serial killers did? Like, oh, you know, they just have those girls at those working those night shifts. So fucked up. Yeah, like uh, mm-hmm. we'll actually discuss this case again in a sense uh, in a season or two from now when we cover Ellie Mangold's uh, case, uh, which originally aired uh, in 1993. Oh wow! Same killer. Uh, they suspect that they, it, that all four of them might be related, seeing that they all took place around the same time, and they were all um, gr- uh, convenience store clerks. Yeah. So this is a really fucked up article. Um, basically, it talks about how Alex Wells was in a prison ser- serving a super long term for some other convic- convictions of uh, abduction and some store robberies and stuff. Uh, convenience store robberies. But he confessed in a Bible study group that he actually had helped in the killing of a woman. And some inmates had overheard and they told the police. And basically he tells a story about him and his half-brother, Mark Reeb. Who, not Mark Ritchie, sorry if I confused you guys. <laughs> basically him and his brother, um, they went to a convenience store in Gulf Breeze on August 16th of 1989. If that sounds familiar, this is Donna Callahan. Just with the intent to rob it, apparently. Um, the clerk's purse was on the counter and no money was even taken. So they don't buy that part. But they took Donna Callahan. And this is where it gets really, really, really dark. Like we said, she was currently pregnant and she had another kid. But according to this story, she was begging for the life of her unborn child when when, quote, her pleas were ignored and she was ultimately strangled in the back seat of the brother's car, so in Mark Reeb's car. Um, each of the brothers, they say the other did it. They never admit who actually did it. But the body was placed in a wooded area, like Dan said, next to the brother's family's property, next to Reeb's family property in Defuniac Springs of Florida. Um, Alex led them to the remains, like we said. So, I mean, we mentioned that story, but just not the specifics. That is really fucked up. This person said that they talked to Special Agent Dennis Haley and retired FDLE agent. Someone who had been investigating and talking with Mark Reeb for over 25 years and knows a lot about him. So Mark Reeb eventually went to prison for 25 years to life. Um, and he started admitting to other murders and stuff. He actually admitted murders to his mother and sister. He said, I killed a lot of girls. I'm a serial killer. And he confessed to more than 12 murders. I wonder if this was uh, the Deborah Poe. If if he killed Deborah Poe, maybe he just, so many of them, he doesn't even remember. It's so fucked up. You know, I'm reading about his confessions and they all come up to, he got got angry and strangled her in the car. (laughs) They do list uh, Deborah Poe. 
as one of Mark Reeb's possible victims. Interesting. So it's funny. I took the note Mark Ritchie and I was Googling the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's fine. Apparently uh, someone named Bonnie Gale Ryther is believed to be Mark Reeb's first victim. Um, She was apparently 27 years old and she was a cocktail waitress and he was just 17. And this murder would have happened in April of 78. He confessed to this one. He said they met at Wayside Park and they were smoking weed and he got angry and killed her in a car. Like you said. Then he murdered an 18-year-old in Panama City who was there uh, at the beach for spring break and was never officially reported missing. Man, what a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, this article goes on. Um, it's called Mark Reeb's Sins of the Father. Lost? Just the letter in foundblogs.com. And it's... Uh, Lost and found by Crystal Dawn. That's one word. I don't know if that's her real name, but I mean, I feel like if you Google Mark Reeb, R-I-E-B-E, Sins of the Father, it'll definitely come up. Really, really good. We barely touched the surface. I feel like we should uh, do a whole podcast on him, especially if we might be covering something that he possibly was involved in later. But yeah, interesting. We'll be back as soon as we can, guys. Please bear with us. Thanks so much for sticking around. Um, yeah, sorry for been, the uh, the delay in in episodes. I've been nine hours ahead of the other guys for the last two months. And, well, anywhere yeah. between anywhere between nine to ten hours ahead. <laughs> Yeah, and Eli's got a new job, and just so many things. Too much to get into, but uh, but thanks so much for uh, listening, and give us a rate and review. Uh, send us some love. Uh, no new updates on the Unsolved Mysteries reboot, but when that comes out, we're going to be so excited to cover all of those. Follow the Stack Pack on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, and for every mystery, there's someone somewhere who knows the truth. And perhaps that someone is listening. And perhaps that someone is you. Good night, Dan. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night.